Hi, my name is Jill, and the Old Testament reading is found in Exodus 4, 21 through 23. The Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go, so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. The word of the Lord. The New Testament reading is found in James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The word of the Lord. And if you are able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Matthew 6, 5 through 9a. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go to your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Let's remain standing as we pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. We pray now that as we listen to your scriptures being taught and being read, that you would set our hearts aflame. Just like the disciples that we talked about last week, whose hearts were burning within them. Lord, today, again, light our hearts on fire as we hear your word. Open our eyes to see you. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see all of you in the room. You're looking great. Welcome back. Many of you are coming back to church for the first time in a long time. Welcome back. So great to have you. Some of you, you're just coming back to church in general. You know, you you came for Easter and you're like, that's kind of cool. My church didn't have chandeliers, so maybe we'll come back, you know. And uh, we're glad that you're here. We're really, really thrilled. And those of you that are joining us online, uh, Facebook, YouTube, wherever you are, in town or beyond, if you're uh, tuning in to join worship with us here at New Life Downtown, we're grateful For that, we're beginning a new series today on the Lord's Prayer. And part of the reason for that is maybe, you know, if you're just sort of making your way back to church, or even if you've been following Jesus for a long time, we never graduate from learning how to pray. In fact, one of my friends who's a pastor said to me, he said, I think that my main role as a pastor is to teach people how to pray. And I like that because it helps us understand that actually the goal is not to go through another human being. The goal is to develop this relationship with the living God yourself. 
It's to enter into this relationship. And all of us that work at the church, all of us that serve as pastors or whatever, our job is to help introduce you, brokering a connection, if you will, equipping the saints so that you can then say, okay, I am going to pray and I'm going to follow and listen to and lean into and learn from the Lord. In fact, Jesus knew that he only had a certain amount of time, certain amount of years with his disciples and he understood that teaching them how to pray was going to be a way for this thing to carry on even beyond his physical presence with them. But it may surprise you to know that actually a lot of Americans pray. A lot of people pray. In a recent study, Pew Research discovered that 77% of Americans pray either monthly or weekly or daily. Barna a few years ago discovered that 79% of Americans prayed at least once. They prayed at least one time in the last three months. I would be willing to bet that number was higher in 2020. More than half of Americans pray at least daily, 55%. 79% of evangelicals, which is probably a lot of us here, pray daily. But this is the one that got me. Those who checked religious affiliation, none, like no religious affiliation. They're sometimes called the nuns, not like N-U-N-S, you know, but N-O-N-E-S. 20% of those with no religious affiliation pray daily. 11% of those with no religious affiliation pray pray weekly and 7% pray monthly. That means about 38% of people who have no religious affiliation still pray. And that raises all kinds of questions, doesn't it? Like, who are you praying to? But even for us who are followers of Jesus, we have a lot of questions about prayer. Like, how are we supposed to pray? Are we supposed to use formal language, informal language? Can we say, yo, what's up, G? Or do we have to say, Father Almighty? Is there a right way or a wrong way to talk to God? Do you have to do it daily? Or can you miss a bunch of days and then binge pray? like you're catching up on a Netflix series. And more distressingly, why does God seem to answer all the wrong prayers? Why does he help us have nice parking, close parking spots but not answer our prayers about sickness or disease or cancer or divorce? If we're honest, prayer is hard. Prayer is difficult. And sometimes prayer is confusing. I want you to know if you feel that way this morning that you're in good company, that you're actually in good company. The people who followed Jesus, who walked with him, listened to him, ate with him, fished with him, these are people who didn't feel like they knew how to pray. Listen to this in Luke 11, verse 1. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. I love this. Because there was something about Jesus and the way he prayed that made them recognize they don't really know what's going on here. There might be situations where you think, well, I'm pretty good at that. And then you see someone else do it and you're like, oh man, you got to teach me how to do that. You're a power user. They're saying, they're recognizing, Jesus, we need to learn. But even more fascinating than their question is Jesus' response. Because he does not shame them. There are plenty of times in the Gospels where Jesus responds to the disciples, oh, you foolish people, how long do I have to put up with you? But notice when they ask him to pray, Jesus doesn't say, what? You don't know how to do this? I mean, isn't that comforting 
Somehow, maybe you just sort of started attending church, and you kind of started going with a friend, and you kind of find yourself just doing this, and you're like, I think I'm a Christian, I think, I, you know, and, you're, and you kind of feel like you're supposed to know already, and you're maybe a little bit behind, and you're like Ben Stiller's character in Meet the Parents when he says, Ben, why don't you say grace? And he's like, oh, no, I, I know how to pray. I've prayed a lot of things, you know, and he goes, day by day, these three things we pray. Oh, Lord, starts quoting that, you know, Beatles song or whatever. We all think we're supposed to know, so we kind of put up this show, like, no, 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 I, I know what I'm doing. And you come to church and people raising their hands, you're like, well, yeah, oh, yeah, totally, yep, yep. But there's no shame in saying, I want to learn how to pray. Jesus doesn't shame the disciples, nor, and this is, in our culture today, these are the only two options. Either you shame someone or you overly praise them and say, you're good, man. You're amazing. You're awesome. You do you like you're the best. He doesn't say, he doesn't shame them, but he also doesn't say, oh, you got this. Just pray whatever's in your heart. That's how some of us were kind of began down this road. He doesn't shame them, nor does he say, yeah, it's fine. Just, no, he says, okay. And he said to them, when you pray, say. Isn't this interesting? Prayer is a learned language. And I like this metaphor of thinking of prayer as a language. Some of you learned a second language and you know that, you know, step one in learning a language is you're doing translation work in your head. And then step two, when you really know the language, you're not doing translation work anymore. You just go there. You're able to think in Spanish or French or whatever it is. But all of us, when you learn to speak the language that you speak is your first language, you learned it by saying back what your parents said to you. In other words, you learn to speak by being spoken to. It's cute when a baby makes blah, 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 which we've got in this room, and it's wonderful. I love it. Parents, we got four kids. We get it. It's cute when babies are like blah, 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 blah. But what do parents do? It's not very long before babies are making sounds that parents are like, they're making sounds. I'm going to teach them words. And then parents go, say, dada, say, cat, say, ball. And they're like, bah. And you're like, that's amazing. And parents love this because sounds are great. Words are better. Language is best. And this is how prayer works. When you come to faith and you're like, oh, God, help. He's like, I got you. And then he's like, we're going to move on, though, from the baby stage to the learning to pray stage. And it works like a language. Just as we learn to speak by being spoken to, we learn to pray by praying back to God the words he said to us. I'm going to say that again. We learn to pray by saying back to God the words he said to us. So the Lord's Prayer is the series that we're beginning today. And there's no shame in saying, I need to learn how to pray. No matter how, where you are in your life of following Jesus. This is a prayer that you can keep coming back to. Some of you might want to literally pray this prayer daily over the next six, seven weeks as we do the series and maybe begin the day and say, our Father in heaven, and just slowly begin to pray. Others of you might want to take a phrase a day and just meditate on it throughout the week. Take one phrase on a Monday, one phrase on a Tuesday, and you'll actually work through the whole prayer in a week. You could do that. But see, we're doing this because prayer is a learned language and our native tongue is selfishness. 
Prayer is a learned language and our native tongue is selfishness. This is why sometimes when you say, well, just pray what's in your heart. You're like, okay, well, God, give me that Lexus and God, give me that raise. And there are Christians who pray that way. That's because nobody told them, you got to learn the language of prayer. So we don't get shamed, nor do we get just told to just do what's in our heart. We get this other option of someone who loves us enough to teach us. And that's what we have in Jesus. Someone who loves us enough to teach us. So Matthew 6 is where we're going to camp out over the next several weeks. In verse 9, Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. And I want to say three things today about this phrase, our Father in heaven, and we're going to break it down a word or two at a time. And the first word is the word our. This word our. It's interesting because we can race right past this and we can be like, oh, let's get to the other stuff about daily bread and about evil and about your kingdom. And slow down for a second. The first word is our. And there's two things that I want us to see from this first word, our. The first is this, that we are praying with Jesus. We're actually praying with Jesus. You know what this prayer is called. What's it called? It's called the Lord's Prayer. This is the prayer that Jesus prayed, and he's asking us to pray it with him. And it becomes true, not because we're saying it, but because he's saying it, and we're adding our voice to his. We're praying with Jesus. But the truth is, all prayer is praying with Jesus. You know, sometimes maybe the way that you've grown up thinking about God or thinking about prayer, it's in binaries. And so it's like God and then us. And so prayers or the spiritual life kind of becomes like a game of chess. You're like, okay, my move. God, what's your move? And God's like, okay, we'll do this. And then we're like, oh, I didn't like that move. So maybe if I do this move, then God will do that move. And we think that prayer is a way of manipulating God, that if we would do this, then he would do that. And we just think that we're locked in this game of chess, the Christian's gambit, if you will. <laughs> but prayer is not like chess. Prayer is much more like a group dance. Where the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are in a living, loving communion. And they say, come on and join the party. Come on and enter into the dance. Come on and enter into the fellowship. And on and on we go and we're surrounded by the Godhead. There is no perfect metaphor for the Trinity. But C.S. Lewis was trying to help us imagine prayer differently. And so in Mere Christianity, Lewis writes this. He says, if you think of the Father as something out there before you, in front of you, and as the Son, as someone standing at your side, or if you'd like, kneeling at your side, helping you pray, trying to turn you into another son or daughter. And then you have to think of the third person, the Holy Spirit, as something inside you or behind you, pushing you forward in prayer. That's a more, it's not a perfect metaphor, but it's a more dynamic picture. Prayer is not binaries, us and God. Prayer is Trinitarian. Father and the Son with us and the Holy Spirit in us, propelling us forward. This is why when you come to pray, you don't stand on your own two feet. You don't have to go through the checklist in your head of like, well, how was my week? Yeah, it was pretty good. Didn't lose my temper too much. It was, you know... It's pretty kind to people. Okay, I got this. Our Father. Now, if the, answer, if the question is, have you been good enough? Do you deserve this? Are you, you know, it's always going to be no. <laughs> Let's just get that over with. 
But if we're praying with Jesus, then our prayers are always acceptable, always pleasing, always heard. So the first way of understanding our is who's the our? Jesus and you. How would that change your prayer life? When you say, I'm praying with Jesus today. I've got, I'm in Jesus and I'm with Jesus. But the second hour, second sense of that word hour is that we are praying with the church. There are no I, me, I's, me's, and my's in the Lord's Prayer. Do you notice that? It's not um, give me this day my daily bread. Forgive me my sins. Yeah, you, it's good to take responsibility. But it's us. We're all in it together. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Our Father. Our, our, our. You know, baptism is so beautiful for so many reasons. It's an identification with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. It's a declaration in public that you belong to Jesus. But did you know that baptism is not just identification with Christ, it's also initiation into the body of Christ. It's not just identification with, oh, I'm with you, Jesus. He's like, great, then, you want, then you'll want to meet your new brothers and sisters. No, no, Jesus, I'm with you. He's like, true, and these are your brothers and sisters. And you're like, no, but what about like Jesus, you and me and our father? He's like, right, he's their father too. We want the father, but we don't always want the family. <laughs> Thank you, Ken. Come on, Ken. <laughs> we want the father, but we don't always want the family. Listen, your baptism is a stronger bond your baptism is a stronger bond than any other thing you could name. Say, so, well, well, but, 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 but this person and me, you know, we, we both like the same sports teams. That's great. Your baptism is stronger than that. Well, this person and me, we're, we're both, you know, we're, we're both on the same political party. We, we are, we are very concerned. Great. Your baptism is stronger than that. And that means that person who's on the other side of the political spectrum is more your brother than the non-Christian who's not. Now I'm meddling. Now, well, you, oh, you can't mean that. I do mean that. And Jesus means that. Your baptism is stronger than your political alliances. Your baptism is stronger than your citizenship. Well, well, hey, now I am proud to be an American. I am too. But the Christian in Palestine is your sister more than the neighbor who is not in Jesus. Now, how does that change the way you read the headlines every day? How does that change the way you pray for the world events? We're not praying, our Father, make our nation great again. We're praying, our Father, your kingdom come again because my brothers and sisters are from every nation and every tribe and every tongue around the world. That's how we pray. An hour reminds us that we're praying with a church, not with just my little people and my little tribe. In 2009, we started a service on Sunday nights. This was the sort of the, the root system of New Life Downtown before there was New Life Downtown. And we were leading a Sunday night service, and several of you were, were there and were part of it. And it became kind of a laboratory space at New Life to incorporate some older 
liturgical elements. We do weekly communion. We start doing some prayers of confession and all that. And we start praying the Lord's Prayer every week. And we did it for a couple years, two years, two and a half years. And it became part of our worship kind of muscle memory. Every week we'd pray the Lord's Prayer. And in the spring of 2012, I, I took a team from our Sunday night service to Swaziland. I think it is now called Iswatini. It's been renamed the Kingdom of Swaziland. But in 2012, I, t- I took a team and several uh, downtowners were part of that team. And, and we spent a couple days look, visiting the communities that we had partnered with and hanging out with the children, the school children. And one day, it was maybe the third day we were there, I went with the host uh, and he said, I want to show you some of the other campuses. I want to show you some of the work that's being done so you can have a vision of what could happen in these communities. So I, I spent the morning with him and I arrived late at this second community that our team was in. And when I arrived, one of our team members grabbed me and like, Glenn, you got to come over here. You got to listen to this. The kids were about to close their school day and they were about to close their day in prayer. And this is the scene that I saw. And I will never hear the Lord's Prayer the same. Because then when I say, give us this day our daily bread, I'm thinking about them. And when they pray, forgive us our sins, they're thinking about us. And on and on it goes. That great hour means the church, the church historic, the church global, the church that when your faith is weak, is still praying with you all around the world. Then we get to the second word in the prayer, Father. This is not a word, this is not a statement about gender, this is a statement about source, originator, fountainhead. In the creed, we heard it in the baptism questions, we believe in one God, the Father. We're meant to all of a sudden identify the way that God relates to the world. He's the source of creation. He's the originator, the fountainhead. But Father, of course, is also personal and intimate. And the word Jesus uses here is Abba. And sometimes people say, well, you know, I don't think this was ever done before. This was revolutionary. Not exactly true. It is true that we don't see in the Old Testament anyone addressing God as Father. But the first time God introduces himself as Israel's father came in Exodus. And you heard this being read, you heard the scripture this morning in the Old Testament reading where God is confronting Pharaoh and what does he say? He says, you need to let my people go. He says, why? Because Israel is my firstborn, my son. Let my son go that he might worship me. Now this is amazing because he could have said, let Israel go, these people. The people who are oppressed, that's true. 
But they're not just people who are oppressed. They are God's son. And I think the, the, less, the message for us is this. You might live, you might feel like you're a slave, but God still sees you as his child. And in fact, unless, unless you stop seeing yourself as a slave, you'll never be able to pray to God as father. So many of us were like, well, I don't, I don't know if I can pray, Father, that's just, that's so intimate, that's so personal, I don't know if I can do it. And it might be because we, we still see ourselves as sort of a slave to God, that we're just got to just doing my duty, this is just my religious duty, I'll give my money, I'll pay, I'll show up to church, I'll do my thing, I'll sign up to serve in the nursery, these are all just my duties. And God's like, I don't want you to do this out of obligation, I don't want you to do this out of intimidation, you are no longer slaves, but you are sons and daughters who cry out by the Holy Spirit, Abba, Father. Romans 8 says, and when you recognize the freedom of not being a slave, but of being a son and a daughter, children are free around their parents. I don't know how your kids are, our kids are free around them. I mean, they will talk to us in ways they don't talk to anyone else. They're free. Earlier this week, we were with our teaching team around the congregations and talking over the sermon and Pastor Brady showed us a picture that he has framed on one of his bookshelves, and it's a picture of the late President John F. Kennedy in his office, the Oval Office, and there are his children dancing. And here he is. First he's sitting and clapping, now he's standing and clapping, and the kids are dancing. Listen, the most important decisions in the entire country are made in that office. Nobody else walks into the Oval Office like this. Nobody's coming in doing their, you know, whatever, Carlton dance or Elaine dance or, you know, no, 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 you come in and you're, it's all formalities and there's the briefing and which is who's up here, but you know who walks into the Oval Office dancing? Kids do. And not just any kids, his kids, his kids. The creed says we believe in one God and it doesn't say the almighty. It could But it says, we believe in one God, the Father, then the Almighty. No doubt, he's the Almighty, but he's the Father. No doubt, he's the President, but to them, he's Dad. And Jesus wants us, if we're going to pray with our older brother, Jesus, we're going to need to learn to come into prayer with the freedom of a child. And so thirdly, that means we are praying to the Father, not at the Father. Slaves pray at the Father. And what I mean is trying to perform. You know what what, what I mean when I say praying at God? It's as if God was like a framed portrait, like a shrine or something. And you're like, okay, okay, you're up, okay. Uh, God, dear great God, great God, exalted above. And he's like, We're going to learn to hallow his name. We're going to learn to ask for his kingdom to come. But pray to him, not at him. Don't try to impress him with how much you know, nor should you try to grovel and be like, oh, God, I'm just not worthy. I'm just... He's like, shh, you're already here. What's up? (laughs) Oh. Not only should we not try to impress him or grovel at his feet, but we also don't want to hide from him. 
Do you know, Christians, we're so good at hiding from God, we can even use prayer as a way to hide from God. Oh, I'm just, I'm just you know, my prayer time. Read the Bible, do the stuff, check, 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 blah, blah, blah. And God's like, but, they, but you're carrying all these burdens. And you're like, I'm not. He's like, you are too. And you're totally distracted because you're worried about what. And you're like, no, God, I'm just happy to be here. And he's like, liar. <laughs> and we're doing what Adam and Eve did. We're not naked. And we're just using prayer instead of fig leaves. We're just trying to cover ourselves up. Oh, God, I don't have. Here's an idea. What if, what if the next time you pray, you tell God everything you're thinking at that moment? God, I don't really want to pray right now, but I feel like I really should. <laughs> but I'm kind of tired. I'm a little bit frustrated. It's probably my own ego that was hurt by what that person said. But I need to talk to you about this because, and on you go. Say it. He already knows. This is why in Matthew 6, the preface, before Jesus even gets to the prayer, he says in verse 5, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. You know, that Greek word for hypocrites means an actor. Like literally people, actors who had masks, like the Phantom of the Opera kind of thing. And he's like, don't come to prayer with your masks, not, not like your COVID masks, but you know, your, your theater masks. Well, you, you don't have, anyway. <laughs> For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they receive their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Isn't that amazing? Like of all the things Jesus could have said in his prelude to his teaching on prayer, you just go to your room and close the door. Why is he saying this? Pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. You don't need to impress me, and you don't need to grovel, and you don't need to hide. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. There it is. Your father knows. You don't have to be more impressive. You don't have to be more persuasive. Just say it. But of course, now that we're talking about the intimacy of a closed door and the father in secret, now we're confronted with the real problem with fathers. The real problem with fathers is that this is a relationship of intimacy and power that has shaped us in some way. And if you've done counseling work or a genogram or whatever, you, you, you've had to name these things. And maybe in certain points, you're kind of mad. You're like, Jesus, why didn't you say, when you pray, say Adonai? That would have been fine. Lord, why not Elohim? God, why Abba? Why are you making me say that word? And I think what Jesus is trying to do is not ignore the pain of earthly fathers, but he's trying to reclaim your heart. He's trying to reclaim your heart. Because somewhere along the way, because of the pain of an earthly father, we've sort of bottled up or closed the door of a very tender place of our heart. And Jesus is saying, I am so sorry. But I want to reclaim every inch of you. Even that place that is tender, 
even that place that is hurting, and I want to redeem it. And I want to show you something different. And this is the very last phrase of this first part of the prayer, in heaven. He doesn't just say our Father, but our Father in heaven. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so far is God's love for you. Your Father in heaven is not like your earthly father. God is not like your earthly father. I feel blessed to have a wonderful earthly father. And as good as he is, God is better. And as bad as your earthly fathers were, God is that much better. God is not your father in Arkansas, your stepdad in Georgia, God is your father in heaven. That's God's way of setting himself apart. You've never met anyone like him before. You've never known a God like him before. In heaven, not the one on earth, you've never known a God like him before. Our New Testament reading this morning came from James 1 where it says every good gift, every perfect gift, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. It's a way of saying the God of all perfection, light, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Some of you had earthly fathers where you just didn't know what you were going to get on a given day. And you're like, I don't know, he's, he's always changing, he's always shifting, I just don't know, am I good enough, am I measuring it, I don't know. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, is saying, there's a father in heaven. There's no variation of change. Always faithful. Always good. Yeah. And then Paul says in Romans 8, the very same chapter where he tells us that we're no longer slaves, but we've been given, we've been adopted, given the spirit of adoption so that we can cry, Abba, Father. At the end of Romans 8, he says, in case you're wondering what this father is like, he says, he's the one who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously give us all things? Listen, we're going to learn how to ask rightly and we're going to learn how to ask not with selfishness or narcissism or ego. We're going to learn how to ask rightly, but you need to know before you even ask, the heart of the giver is a giver who is good, is a giver who is faithful, is a giver who's not trying to hold anything back from you, is a giver who wants only and ever your good. Amen. We got to get that first. Before we ever ask for anything, we need to know who the giver is. And the giver is good. So this morning as we get ready to come to the Lord's table, I, I just think the Lord wants to reclaim this for some of you. Some of you prayer has stayed kind of academic or stayed distant because you're like, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. I don't want to get all emotional with God. I don't want to, yeah. We're not going to take a step forward in this series until we come face to face with the Father. Our Father in heaven. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Jesus, we're praying with you today. 
We're praying with your church today. And we're praying to the Father. Open up our hearts. Make us soft again. Make us tender again. Bring us to that secret place again. Come, Lord Jesus.